thanks so much, Carlo, for joining me today. Super excited to chat about your journey and everything you're doing now, taking on a, a very huge task of electrifying the, the agricultural market from a, a tractor standpoint. Uh, this is going to be a, a huge movement and I think a huge task for you and the team to handle. But before we get into that, let's talk about your journey in, in just sustainable farming and kind of how'd you even get into all this that led you to, to start uh, Monarch? Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, Grant. It's awesome to be here with you. It's been a crazy journey, actually, and I never imagined myself in the position that I'm in now. I'm a, I'm a farmer and a winemaker first, and I still am a farmer and a winemaker, but I kind of, so I, I began a thing called the Monarch Challenge back when my family sold Robert Mondavi in 2004 and kind of looking outwardly at how the world farms besides just in the echo chamber of my family's farming. I'm <clears throat> happy mm -hmm. to say my, my grandfather, my father didn't kind of jump onto the bandwagon of herbicides and, mm -hmm. and a lot of the dangerous chemicals that we see being used in agriculture. We've also been blessed and fortunate to be in the wine business where we have a good margin and we're able to kind of do the things that are best for the farm. And my father's always said that we're stewards of the land. We have to leave this land in better hands than we, we received it. And so the reason I began this kind of innovative technology with Monarch Tractor was because I saw that as the consolidation of wineries like my family's and other wineries, that there are agricultural expanses that were, you know, massive that were owned by single companies that that right. really had shareholders to answer to. And the economic divide and carbon footprint divide between clean farming and conventional farming was was properly massive and mm. and so the farmlands here in Napa and Sonoma are my are my back my backyard literally I would go out yeah. and this is the areas I'd hike these are the areas that I'd walk and when you start seeing chemicals being used in fields that you've seen just be incredibly beautiful. It's kind of heartbreaking. So Monarch Challenge was a conversation, right? To go out and talk to farmers and say, hey, did you know that herbicides are linked to these health challenges on the human health impact side? This particularly was going after glyphosate and Roundup, but I just kind of generalized and said, it's not just that, it's all herbicides. Yeah. And because it does things that we don't know to the soil microbiome and farm biology. And then there's things that we do know that are, are not good. And so just to have this like conversation with farmers, with the Monarch Challenge. And you know, this is before the Monsanto lawsuits and all that. And, and farmers would, you know, with a tear in their eye say, you know, I didn't know that. And farming is very difficult, even in vineyards with the margins we have. Um, and they would say, I've got to put my kids through college. I've got to put food on the table for my family. With Since 2015, climate change has really, really affected us here immensely, where people are having, you know, 100% crop losses and some pretty scary situations with wildfires and severe weather. And that's not just here isolated to California. That's, that's the world of wine. Um, sure. Sure. And so the modern challenge was going to fail, um, which was that challenge just to, to migrate away from dangerous chemicals. And um, I realized that if you can drive, you know, a Tesla down a freeway at 70 and 80 miles per hour, have it change lanes autonomously, then why couldn't you drive a tractor at two and three miles per hour down a Victor Row? Not right. to mention that you're on private land. <clears throat> you're on private land. So, right. You know, a lot less hurdles to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. You can just say, hey, don't come in this area. The safety barriers are, are infinite. And then the most dangerous place on a farm is in a tractor seat. So you actually elevate that mm. position that's in the very dangerous place. Get rid of the hazmat suits. You allow for them to become fleet managers. So you're, you're really playing in a role of, of creating a healthier, safer farm and a healthier and safer community <clears throat> and food ecosystem. So it's a, it's a much bigger challenge and, 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 and solution than I initially kind of thought it would be. I, I guess looking at the overall all challenge, right? And going from a pesticide and sort of chemical related economy, essentially, you know, farmer, it, that, that's kind of what it's the foundation of that now is sort of that because it's it's scaled up so largely, like when you when you spoke with farmers, I, I guess, what were some of the 
not questions you would ask them, I guess it was more informational, but I think, you know, the challenge that, that they would have and, and any, I guess any person would have is that, you know, can sustainable farming and, you know, quote unquote, sort of looking at being a steward of the land, can that be profitable, right? Because they've been sold, you know, let's say the last, you know, what, 30, 40 years sort of sold that, hey, this is going to yield so much. You'll always, you know, these pesticides do this, this, and this. It's been economically sold to them. In those conversations is, I guess, were you making the pitch or, or is it even possible to, right, to, to be economically viable, you know, in this transition to sort of sustainable farming? I think that it is, even as it is now, today. Mm-hmm. But I think that Monarch is going to change that. Monarch, because of its autonomy and it's being all electric and economic, just huge, huge gains you get, <clears throat> will allow for farms to basically set a standard of organic as base. And then mm-hmm. organic will become yeah. the new conventional. Right, right. Um, organic's not perfect either, though. And I've, I've kind of, when you look at the two worlds of, of farming, there's really the two, and they're very emotionally charged. You say conventional, and people mm-hmm. are like, shame on you guys for using these chemicals. And you say organic, and farmers are like, those guys are terrible. So it's kind of like, <laughs> it, it gets to be a little bit political in a weird way. Yeah. And so when I started the Monarch Challenge, the conversation was really to go in and just have an open conversation, just to be very informative, not drop the O word or the <laughs> conventional yeah, right, word, just right. to be very yeah, yeah. like, hey guys, like we love Mother Earth. We want to protect Mother Earth. No mm-hmm. farmer wakes up and wants to harm Mother Earth, right? Sure. Like yeah. how can we work on this together and make it economically viable? So I knew that the movement the Monarch Challenge could happen in Napa and Sonoma because we have the financial wherewithal to do it. Although when you look at right. just like just going without herbicides, I've kind of like calculated it to be about three cents a bottle of one per bottle of wine. It's about three cents more to go without herbicides, which sounds mm-hmm. like nominal. But when you multiply that by 45 to 50,000 acres of land in Napa, Sonoma, or it's just in Napa, sorry, Sonoma is 110,000 acres, but just in Napa, 45,000 acres is like, that's like $25 million more to go herbicide free. Mm -hmm. And when you look at some of these, whether it's families or large corporations that hold that land that report to shareholders and report to people, $25 million is not something that they're willing to take. And unfortunately, I farm 18 and a half acres in a permaculture biodynamic way. That's relatively meaningless. Of course, it's important. Mm-hmm. Every piece of land is important, but it's relatively, you know, meaningless when you when you zoom out and you think of like the bees and the sure. butterflies and all these beautiful indicator species and, and what they come into contact with. The conversation with farmers was just first create awareness, right? And the reason why I began the Monarch Challenge was was because since the introduction of Roundup, which is kind of the the big and most prevalent, it's it lost the patent which was um, Monsanto filed for was was lost. And now the largest producer of glyphosate, which is the chemical agent Roundup, is China. And it's everywhere and it's around the world it's, and it's crazy. But I, I began this conversation because I grew up here in this Napa Valley in Sonoma. It's kind of like a national park. It's mm-hmm. so beautiful. And you know, I'm fine. People can do what they want. I really respect people's individuality. And farming is very much an artistic expression of you know man and land and how we kind of work with it. That being said, when how we're treating the land affects, you know, indicator species, like in this case, the monarch butterflies or the bees, or even in like Yellowstone with the wolves or or with polar bears, it indicates the overall health of, of the right. ecosystem. And when you start to see a collapse of an indicator species like monarchs, it's kind of a call to action. And that's why I began the monarch challenge was since the introduction of Roundup in 74, uh, the monarch population of butterflies has declined by 99% and they're on the brink of extinction. Glyphosate's linked to colony cluster with the bees. It's linked to so many human health, very, very, unfortunate illnesses and and not just it's so much more uh, underneath that within the butterflies i always say like 
if you can find those indicator species and see how the health of them are, you can see how the overall health of the ecosystem is. And so creating that conversation, talking about that with farmers, sharing this information with them, because right now there's so much misinformation and, and a lot has changed. There's a lot more awareness around this because, you know, the lawsuits that, that um, happen with Monsanto and people are just eyes wide open a bit more on, on how we treat our dirt and soils. And so long story short, the modern challenge was going to fail as it stood. And that's where innovation needed to happen. And that's where, you know, again, like <laughs> I'm a farmer and a winemaker. I didn't imagine myself in this position, but I met three of the most brilliant individuals. They're engineers from Silicon Valley that have been innovating in aerospace and auto and ag tech for the last 20 years. And um, I partnered with them and we began this journey. And it's now I really am like incredibly, I'm in awe of what we've been able to create because it will bridge the economic divide and the carbon footprint divide and allow for us as farmers, to not just farm what we're growing as crops, but also farm energy to power our farms so we can get to renewable. We can bridge the grid if we want right, to. Right. And beyond that, get rid of these chemicals. We can like, there's on the table is the ability for us to uh, literally go chemical free. <clears throat> so like there's three main chemicals that get sprayed on farms. Um, okay. There's there's herbicides, which are basically chemically mowing, which is 100% unnecessary. And it's just an economic bridge, which is just a lot easier. You just go through a field, <clears throat> you spray right. a chemical, it kills the grasses versus like going slower, mowing, having to implement, sure. engaging. It's, it's, it's more difficult. So we can get rid of 100% of herbicides. On the fungicide side, there's this really amazing uh, new technology coming out that's UV light. And so it's not off the table to be able to get rid of like, not just like, you know, systemic synthetic fungicides, but also get rid of organic contact fungicides. And then beyond that, uh, go to a hundred percent chemical free fungicide program, which is kind of long ball. That's long ball. And then the amazing thing with the data capture that Monarch has, um, we're working with different entomology departments and I've been working with uh, Emily at, at UC Davis, Emily Kwan, who has been dissecting what insects eat, right? So she's looking to see what insects eat. So you sure. can basically see that, okay, you know that you know, leaf hoppers, there's these subspecies of spiders that eat those or blue green sharpshooters, you know, that bluebird. So it's, it's that whole permaculture hmm. process of like, you're introducing biodiversity to deal with pesticide challenges. And so you can get rid of pesticides. And that's like, so now you've just eliminated all three chemicals, right? No more fungicides, because you use light for that. For, for pesticides, you use biodiversity and you stress like the biodiversity that, that like, that gets out basically yeah. feasts on the bad. And then on the herbicide, you just, you're autonomous, right? So all those extra passes, the economic divide's not there. So the autonomous part gives the ability to not use the pesticides because of the, the manual part of it that has been taken over by sort of the easy spray and sort of that, that ease of use now can, through the autonomous part of the electric tractor, then that sort of manual labor part is sort of taken out. So then the land can be sort of taken care of as a steward better, yeah. correct? Yeah, and so like there's been, with the Monarch Challenge, there's been two big conversations I've had. First was the economic divide to say, well, I would love to go into, and not use herbicides and, and not use neonicotinoids or not use any of these chemicals, right? But that means I have mm -hmm. to drive my tractor more and driving my tractor more means right. that I'm, I'm having to pay more, right? Because labor is very, very, very difficult right now in agriculture. A, a quick number there is that in 1900, 50% of the United States was in farming as in agriculture. And today, as it stands, it's 1.8%. So there's been an exodus wow. in agriculture. And it's been yeah. kind of a villainization of, of farmers because they're putting a, pre but they're also the most important 
people on the planet, right? Farmers are the of most. Of course, important. absolutely. And so, and no farmer wants to harm Mother Earth. So, so when you when you farm organically, you're driving your tractor more. And so your, your, your costs are, are greater. Your diesel costs are greater. Your, your labor costs are greater. And a lot of farms have very thin margins um, and, and have banks to answer to or shareholders to answer to. And so unfortunately, right. organic at scale just was not going to be able to be attained. And then on the flip side, um, but you're, you're better for organics, better for the soil microbiome and the farm biology. And on the flip side, conventional farming, you're driving your tractor less because you're using instead of organic contact sprays for, for fungicide, for example, an organic contact spray like copper or sulfur sticks to the outside of, of the plant and the fruit or the vegetable and it protects it. And then it washes away. The inverse of that, the conventional version of these contact sprays are systemics. And they're synthetic and they uh, attach themselves and kind of penetrate a layer deeper into the plant and kind of have a better, deeper protection shell. And they, they typically uh, can be double, if not a bit more than organic contact sprays. And so when you would talk, when I would talk to conventional farmers, they would say, well, you think that you're, you're doing what's best for the planet, but you're driving your tractor more and you're burning more mm -hmm. diesel mm -hmm. and, and turning on one tractor, a compact tractor. It's yeah. like turning on 14 cars there and it's particulate mm -hmm. nox and CO2. So it's very, very bad from a CO2 emissions standpoint. And so I realized that this was going to fail, that we, we, we were in a situation, this is before Monarch Tractor, but the Monarch Challenge so you, is going to fail. you kind of really had to take a really big step back <clears throat> because kind of what you thought initially maybe was not the, the roadmap that you were going to take because this, it looks like maybe all of a sudden you're like, oh, maybe the answer I thought was going to be, it might not be it. So you're going to have to reallocate your thought process. And is that when your partner sort of came in and said, Hey, you should look at like the tractors. Like how did that even come into the realm of the conversation of starting the EV tractor yeah, company? Like, was that you going to them or them coming to you? So it was, it was kind of, we were on our own journey separate, but then we, I got the introduction of a lifetime to, to Mark, who's the president of, of Monarch. And he had come from the early days at Tesla. Mm -hmm. And then he had worked with, after Tesla, he went on to work with a number of different battery technology companies and autonomous vehicle companies. And he hired Praveen and Zachary at a company called Motivo. It's like a black ops engineering lab that literally solves very challenging problems for everything from the U.S. military to Boeing and other mm -hmm. aerospace endeavors uh, on road. And then recently they had been working in ag tech and they were building, you know, these crazy hundreds to a million plus dollar single use case implements like remain lettuce weeders or hmm. potato transplanters. And these farmers were coming <laughs> to them with these huge problems. And they were like, we need to solve these insanely difficult challenges. And so they would, they would design these incredible, beautiful pieces of, of, of equipment in the form of an implement. And they bring it out to the field and mm -hmm. they'd connect it to an old tractor, which would, or a, a current tractor. The tractors haven't been updated in like literally. Right, like it feels like they look, yeah, ever. you're right. Oh, it's crazy. <clears throat> and they would connect it to that and they'd be like, we need GPS. We need, so we need, we need to put on, um, you know, a GPS system. We need uh, connectivity. So cellular, we need um, <laughs> electrical energy. So let's put a, let's put a, um, a generator here. And so they're tape, they were like literally taping on to the tractor, all these things. And they said, whoa, if we could just update the tractor, we can make this implement a lot less expensive and you could kind of become the Swiss army knife of the farm because on the back of a tractor, you have a thing called the PTO and a hydraulic um, hydraulic connections that run and operate the implements in the back. And so your, your tractor essentially is just a huge energy hub that's delivering energy to the implement that's, that's actually mm -hmm. doing the work. <clears throat> and so if you can make the tractor smart and make it, you know, connected and make it autonomous, then you can literally make the work and operation 
right. whichever implement you put on the back, it could be a mower under the yep. vine, weeder, it could be a sprayer, any of these things you connect to the back are now autonomous because the tractor has the smarts. And so this was the brilliance of Praveen, Mark, and Zachary. And, and I, you know, help connect a lot of this, this to the agricultural side that I'm desperate to have on my farm and see within my neighbors. Um, right. And so, yeah, it's been, they, we all kind of came to the conclusion simultaneously and also Praveen and, and, you know, I came to it out of desperation because I was just heartbroken to see what was happening. I drive up and down, you know, Napa Valley and Sonoma and the state of California, and I still see more and more herbicides being sprayed. Because um, the economics have, has not switched. We are launching Monarch uh, coming up this fall after harvest. Mm-hmm. So the fourth quarter of this year. And we have a significant amount of orders globally, but we're focusing on California, Oregon, and Washington first. And I can't wait for that day because I know yeah. the pain that all these farmers are in. I'm in the same pain point, just being a part of this community. And so, yeah, it's an exciting time. I'm grateful for the introduction. Uh, a friend of mine, John, made the introduction to to Mark, and it's been an unbelievable, unbelievable journey so far. Where we talk about, this is a big, a big issue, right? Like agriculture literally runs the entire world in a lot of different areas. How do you, do, do you look at scaling from just a monarch point of view? Not necessarily scaling the company, but scaling the solution of, of the problem. Is it going to independent farmers first, or is it going, you know, to the head of the snake and going to, you know, these big corporate farms or, or you know, farm, you know, landowners that have massive amount of landowners and, and sort of have contracts with maybe tradition, traditional sort of tractor distribution? Like, I guess, how do you, how do you go at it from the solution standpoint? How do you scale that? And then if you do that, then obviously you scale the company, but, but how do you look at that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. We, um, so we basically, because we, we launched the company in the pandemic, we were planning on doing a touring. Classic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we had our, our, our video that we made kind of went quasi farm viral or went farm viral. <laughs> so uh, it was seen all around the world and we're taking $500 deposits, um, which kind of allots people's place in the production line with, with yeah. the production. Certainly from a, um, a company standpoint, we're having conversations with you know the, the leaders of industry. So, because we're we're talking about not just one year, we're talking about fleet oh, conversions yeah. of tractors. Right, right, so, right. you know, once once farms realize, and the other thing is that we've been as farm as a farming community, we have been hurt and hit with climate change greater than any other community in the world, um, and that goes from grain to to vineyards. And so, when we talk about it, and we don't get too much into the weeds, but normally it's people that are saying we have to get off of our dependency of, of fossil fuels. And so when farms realize that they have the ability to have energy independence, right? That yeah. they have all this land, the sun is right. hitting that land, you're connected to this great fusion reactor in the sky that you can actually harness that energy to power your farm in yeah. a much more direct way. Because fossil fuel is just ancient solar energy, right? It's just ancient solar yeah. energy that we're digging up and burning versus yeah. going directly to the source and saying, we're going to capture this and deploy it immediately. And the cleanliness that comes with that and the economic benefits that come with that. And so we're talking to right now, what we've been focusing on is talking to the major leaders of industry that can make massive change with yeah. fleet conversions, like the, the farms that have quite literally 40,000 acres. And then we have a lot of mm-hmm. farms like my brother and my farm at Rain or my family's farm. And, and those are kind of, we, we don't have to have that conversation with them. They're having that conversation right. already. And so, um, and it's been really positive on both sides. Again, like the big, big companies, they all want to do what's right. And uh, same with the small companies. So this is just when we have that conversation, you know, we show up with the tractor, we, we do a demo or they come to one of our demos. It's, yeah. it's 
it's exciting. What about, uh, so we talked about, you know, the battery, right? We have to get these things to move. And so when you talk to the, to the, the farms or the companies, is part of the, the pitch that they would, they should or need to install some type of, of solar to charge the tractor on their land? Because in this, this creates that ecosystem of regenerative energy, regenerative farming, regenerating the whole, the whole land, right? Is if you, if you sort of power, like you said, the ecosystem can be powered by the sun. Do most of these people already have solar installed or, or do you recommend they do that as, as the, the modern tractors come into to the economy? Yeah. And, and a lot of wineries in Napa and Sonoma have solar and, and then some farms are, you know, quite literally, this becomes the energy solution for, we have, we have a farmer who has a 500 acre ranch as a part of like a larger mm-hmm. ranch ecosystem, but a 500 acre ranch where it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And, and I think that this is kind of true for a lot of farms to plumb electricity out there for grid electricity. Right. It's like $250,000. And so what they what they want to do right now, what they're doing is they're basically, you know, trucking diesel out there to put into a diesel mm, tank, then put into gotcha. a tractor and right, put into right, a generator. Right, right. And it just is like it's the dirtiest of the dirty. And so what's it's also uh, not efficient. <laughs> and, and, well, that's the main reason. It's super inefficient, right? Fossil yeah. fuel is just super inefficient. And so we've now we're now in the process of building these like kind of solar barns where okay. the solar infrastructure charges the tractor, the tractor becomes the energy storage, and then you can deploy that energy. So the tractor is a mobile power wall. It, mm-hmm. It's properly ah, a massive okay. energy gotcha. system. And the pack is is properly massive. It's, it's larger than almost anything on road right now. Um, these trucks will probably put that into competition, but you have this massive energy um, delivery system. And you know, we have power outages where I am. PG&E will preventatively shut off the grid to, yeah. you know, when it gets very dry, hot, and windy to prevent, uh, you know, electrical fire from a downed power line. And and the same is true when there are wildfires. And we're in the middle of harvest oftentimes because it often comes kind of late summer, early fall, or late fall. These days, fire season's just gotten to be, um, unfortunately, way too long. But this this will allow for us to power farms and keep the lights on. Um, in those instances without having to use the diesel generators, which I did have to fire on a diesel generator during the 2017 fire. And it, it's, you just choking on smoke and then you fire this huge generator on, it's just smoke on smoke. Like, this just is not, right. <laughs> this isn't supposed right. to be right. And you're kind of like, how is that even operating with that much smoke? So there's a cleaner, brighter future ahead. And it's, it's really exciting. And then the battery, the battery side of things, Mark, um, who's one of my co-founders, his last job at Tesla was, was to do site selection and build of the Gigafactory. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he's gone on to build a number of battery factories um, and is one of the foremost best technologists in, in battery technology. And so, yes, um, there's, thank God that electric EV world is, is taking off. Um, but with that comes industry behind it and investment behind it. And so right. we're not worried at all about, I mean, of course, we're, we're always concerned about, especially these days with supply chain things. But um, I think that's more COVID related. Uh, yeah. And and now, unfortunately, with this tragic war. So, you know, we're constantly keeping an eye on that. Um, but I do think that that it'll sort itself out. There's plenty of, of cobalt, manganese, lithium ion, all of that out there. And it's just a much cleaner solution than, than fossil fuel. Um, yep. We, we talked about California, Washington, Oregon, sort of the, these are the regions that I think it's not hard to sell this to them, right? But, you know, there's going to be parts of, let's say, the United States and, and perhaps, you know, globally that don't want to, not necessarily that they don't want to adopt it. It could be just a generational thing, 
when you maybe have conversations with farmers in, in sort of the Midwest, you know, let's say, like, what are those conversations? Are those conversations different than, you know, partners you talk to in California? I guess what geographically is there a difference in, in sort of philosophy and, and sort of this transition? Yeah, I think farm farmers are certainly the most conservative group just because we're we've we've gone through so much as, as yeah. farming communities. And typically farmers come from families that that have taught that because if if it didn't hit this generation, it hit the generation yeah. before in terms of right. extreme challenges. And so with that, you know, comes a, a more conservative attitude. But I think that with that comes a, a lot more of an astute focus on what what is best for my land, what is best for my business. And so I've found that with the conversation that there are a number of people that will adopt this technology because they want to do what's best for Mother Earth. Um, but the vast majority want to do what's best for Mother Earth, but they put their business first. Mm -hmm. And so right. the reason why Monarch is having the success we're having is because of the economics that we're able to bring so much more. The companies literally are able to become so much more profitable with the all electric platform, getting away from fossil mm -hmm. fuel. We're seeing now diesels like $6, right? So it's really expensive for farms to operate. And, and those diesel tractors quite literally are just drinking diesel. It's, it's yeah. again, turning on one tractor is like turning on 14 cars. So just think about that in terms of when you fire up that car, you're paying for that much fuel to be burnt. Right. And so when you look at the economics and then you bridge in the autonomy, farms, yeah. are, I think, start to, to get it. And then what I've found is that most of these farms, whether it's from the Midwest or from you know, California, Oregon, Washington, Texas, that they are hip to the EV revolution. And I, I, I love cars. I love driving. And I mean, I've never driven a faster car that's more fun and like more like zero to 60. It's intensity. nice day, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's insane. So it's like the reason Porsche is, you know, adopting EV in their fleet. I don't think it's because it's, well, I hope it's also because it's, I think it's twofold. They know it's the right path for the future, but they also realize that as a car, it's a superior vehicle. Yeah. And so we, um, with our tractors, they're, they're literally a superior vehicle to drive. You know, when you're backing up to the implement, it's, you can literally just crawl right. so slow. There's no lurching when you're going forward. It's so smooth. When you have the lights on, there's no diesel rumbling to keep the lights on. It's just quiet. You know, I've now been able to be in the field also with Monarch where we have a diesel tractor and you get to about 20 feet of the diesel tractor and you smell it. And mm. now you're inside the bubble of the CO2 NOx on particulate, which, yeah. which is a class one car syndrome. You're like, wow, okay, I get it now. Whereas when, you, when you're around Monarch, it's so quiet. And so there's so many pluses, but I think the biggest one is just Farmers are innovative. They are constantly dealing with challenges that a lot of times the industry doesn't innovate for them. So they have to innovate themselves. And so when we're, we're given the prospect of now you can become energy independent instead of having to mm -hmm. buy fossil right. fuel, you can become mm -hmm. your own, own power plant. That's when farmers, I think, go, damn, this is going to be fun. Like I, I, I can get behind this. Um, yeah. And the autonomy of it where you can, you know, the farmer gets off and the tractor can can still work, right? You can put a, a few extra hours in, right? Just yeah, do the man. tractor and he can sit down and, and do whatever, you know, that's, that's an employee, can, right? That's a, we, it's having another employee. You, don't... you show up to the farm and if it's just like you and I, we have two farms, right? And, yeah. and we show up to the farm, we hit go, we hit, we hit what block first, what implement, connect them up, hit go, it goes to it, it does work. We're meeting for lunch. Whereas normally we'd be like, right. I'll see you later. Like, <laughs> so we can, we can actually spend time like doing yeah. things or, and I always equate it to that individual person. Like, so you're off the most dangerous place on the farm, which is the tractor seat. Um, sprains the gnarliest because you have to put on the hazmat suit. So you yeah. get rid of the hazmat suit. But then if it's just like a, a small farm that you have personally, 
Yeah. Think about all that extra time that you can have to do other detailed things on the farm or, or other things around the house or other things with your family. And, and so there's, there's just like the huge pluses when you think about it at that scale. But then yeah. when you multiply that out, when you just go huge, a lot of the challenges are, are being able to get the teams behind. Like I had to call off two picks last year because we couldn't get a crew for harvest. And that's um, just challenges that come with people when they go out and they're farmers and, and kind of as a labor pool, they want their kids to get a higher education and do something else because they know sure. how hard it is. And so there is this exodus and it's been very difficult. Um, for the agricultural community to find the teams and COVID has only exacerbated that it's been yeah, yeah. crazy. I like, yeah, it, people are like, well, I'm first off want to drive all the way over to from Macedonia to Italy or to France. And then on top of that, there's COVID. I'm just going to stay home. Yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. So there's been a, it's been a very tough time for farmers. Last couple questions here. One, one would be around sort of data and then uh, affordability. So the data aspect of all this, because I'm sure as the, as the tractor is, is moving and going, right, there is this influx of data that it gets and then that can be assessed, right? Just like, you know, you, you two farmers are having lunch together as your tractor's going, you can assess the data from yesterday's sort of day or the week, whatever it may be. I guess what has been fascinating about the data collection and, and what can be reaped from that, both from an economic positivity uh, and environmental positivity, I guess, what is the data saying right now? And, and what are some, some cool things you're seeing? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So Monarch Tractor is a vision stack. So similar mm -hmm. to the Teslas of the world, yep. we, we don't use LiDAR, we're completely camera-based. And uh, with that, like you said, when you're doing a pass, whether it's mowing or under the vine weeding or tilling or spraying or whatever it is, your vision is your AI. It's making the adjustments as it goes down that row. And it's okay absorbing not just where you are and, and what it's seen it's also absorbing all the plant life around it kind of where the state of that is and then that can be mined for almost like infinite infinite data which we have an open app system at monarch so companies are already partnering with us to develop apps to be able to take that data yeah. and do yield estimation um Great. you yeah. know plant health um diagnosis so Imagine you're driving down the vineyard row, you see some short shoots. The short shoots are unusually short compared to the other tall shoots. They can see that. They can send you a picture of that vine, where that vine is, geotag it and say, this could be Esca, Utypa, or these disease. And everything in farming is reactionary. So the faster you can react, I mean, the, the better and more productive your, your farm can be. There was a, a McKinsey and company study said by 2050, farms will be 2050 farms will be 70% more productive than they are today because of data. Wow. And so this is a huge piece of it. It gets to the whole level of being able to see insects the size of a pinhead on a plant and being able to understand what that is. And you can identify that insect, know if it's a good or bad insect, <laughs> know if it is a bad sure. insect, where it is, what insects like to eat that. Like if you have aphids, you know, mm -hmm. you can deploy all sorts of different beneficials that will come in. And so you're, you're deploying biodiversity to deal with um, things before they get too out of a hand. So data is properly massive for the company. And then on the affordability side of the tractor, Mark kind of was struck with this like challenge. And he said, look, if I can build a Tesla for, for $50,000, there's, there, I can sure as hell build a tractor. I don't have the leather interior, the fancy steering right, wheels, right. all the yeah. digital stuff I have. So the tractor is, is for the two wheel drive is 58,000. And for the four wheel drive is 68,000, which for my family, it's replacing a fleet of $90,000 tractors, but it is a big range. Like you get the, sure. you know, for the very like entry level area of this tractor would be 
maybe over 30, well, shoot, time, maybe $35,000 now. And so yeah. there's a big variance. Yeah. Us, but most of the farms we're working with are, are not, you know, your hobby farms, of course, there'll be some of that as well. So the, the really professional farms that are really, they're investing big dollars in the tractors and we wanted to come in below that. And then the really cool thing, Grant, is that from a dollar to dollar perspective, it, it just makes total sense. But the subsidies that um, are being that, generated for yeah, this. Are that big. was my next question, because when Tesla's came out, I mean, they not heavily subsidized, but I mean, they were decently subsidized where it made it definitely less like jaw-dropping cost right so that was my next question was is that is that something that can be taken in in this sector yeah. as well yeah no it's um and it's super helpful they're already before you know monarch and the electric you know tractor tractor revolution which we're on the precipice of before this there was subsidies called the car Moyer farmer program in the state of california which is basically working with air districts around the state to get away from older diesel tractors because they have zero filters are super, super dirty and get them into these diesel tractors that have multiple filters throughout them, yeah. which actually becomes quite difficult for the farmer because now you're having to break down the tractor and clean all these filters all the time. So it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's better for our air quality. And so with that, uh, we have a whole government department at Monarch that has been working with, with both the state and federal level um, kind of, uh, agencies to help us find subsidies that will benefit. So we we now have with the Carl Moore Farmer Program up to 80% subsidy on the tractor, which is just massive. That's a yeah. subsidy where you have to take your old tractor basically and drill through the, the engine well, kill that tractor, uh, get rid of the diesel tractor, and then migrate to um, uh, our tractor, which is now rated the cleanest tractor in, in, in the planet in terms of just being all electric and all that. So we have that big, huge step forward. And then we're, we're working right now, we're, we're definitely pushing on just direct. So you, you get a direct subsidy um, just for buying the tractor. Um, so all, all of those things are happening. We're, we're really looking for federal support as well, because when you, when you look at our taxpayer dollar on a dollar by dollar basis, basically paying to subsidize one tractor is, is like your, your, your dollar, you get 14 vehicle right. removals right. per tractor versus just one-to-one ratio. So there's the, the impact on Mother Earth in terms of our, our carbon footprint is so much greater by by getting tractors off or get yep. or, or by, by migrating fossil fuel tractors to uh, clean energy tractors, electric tractors. And the and the ancillary effect of having healthier food in the food system, right? For yeah. the if if we're talking food and, and even wine, right? I mean, it all gets ingested into our bodies, right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if, there, there's sort of end down the supply chain impact results as well. And if this does allow for farmers to migrate away from those chemicals on farms, which I hope it will, because it's not like the market's going to disappear. You still follow the chemical right sure. universe. But if if we are able to be successful with this, and we 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 really believe that the on the table is a completely chemical free farm, you'll have you'll be migrating dirt, which is by definition basically dead 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 dirt to soil, which is alive. Hmm. And when you have mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. in your soil and you have a healthy soil microbiome, your ab yeah. ability to retain carbon is so much greater. And that's just equals yeah. to greater nutrients in whatever fruit or vegetable you're growing. Um, so healthier, healthier communities. And so it's, it's a much bigger deal than just the climate activation yeah. that we're, we're or, or movement that we're, we're backing. It's, it's also the soil and farm biology uh, movement to protect our planet. Because I really think that the way that we're going to be able to succeed as a human race and on, on Mother Earth is if we can protect our planet's biodiversity and, our, and, and, and wean ourselves away from, from fossil fuel. 
um, and into a cleaner, more balanced, whatever that means. We just need to be able to balance those gases so that we can have a relatively stable climate to live on. From from talking to a bunch of people in, in food and, and ag, the one thing I've noticed is that soil is sort of the water of of this sector, right? It's sort of the it's it's the water of, of food. It's sort of the water of it's kind of the foundational for for everything that we do. And, and I think soil doesn't get put up on par as much as like water. Like you know, water yeah. is like numero uno for everything, but soil is like one beat of that for for a lot of different reasons. We can can have a whole talk, we can have a whole episode about soil itself. But, and and yeah. soil is what creates water. So when yeah. you think healthy water, right? right? So right. it rains water, yeah. on the fields, filters yep. the rocks and the dirt, and then it gets swept into the rivers and water pools or wells, yep. and we drink that. And so when you're in a community where the farming is uh, very bad, you see higher rates of cancer, you yep. see that the water is compromised. And you see it in rainfall, even 100 miles away from, from where some of these chemicals are being sprayed. And so soil there's a direct correlation to the, a healthy soil microbiome and a healthy gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. And there's a direct correlation to being able to drink healthy water because our bodies yeah. are totally water soluble. So water transfers throughout our bodies freely. And so we need to uh, have healthy water and healthy soils to be able to have, you know, not just a healthy- Yeah, everything else. Bio- <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's everything. Else. So it's yeah, literally yeah, at the, yeah. cent- the core of all of this. And then also we have to deal with the, the gases and have a stable climate because that's what has enabled the human civilization to thrive um, is this beautiful last 10,000 years of relative stability. Climate-wise. Last question. Last question here is a little bit about the future. And, and I think we mentioned that we're about to see, see monarch tractors in, in sort of real life. But when we look maybe 10 years down the line, what does success look like for you? Or what are some of the goals that you would really see that in 10 years, you want to sit back and say, Hey, we did this. This was a very successful decade for us. I mean, I think the biggest thing, and it's a great question. Success for me is as a monarch butterfly, for example, hypothetically speaking, migrates from Canada uh, (laughs) down to Mexico and passes over these beautiful lands um, Mm. that it, it passes freely, that, that there is nothing that is going to hurt its migration. None of these neonicotinoids or herbicides. And with that comes uh, a more biodiverse, healthy planet and becomes a, a more healthy and biodiverse community. And so my, my hope and dream is that this movement that began as the Monarch Challenge is massively successful. And back in 2017, I, it was probably the most depressed I've ever been because I thought it was going to fail. And now because of Monarch Tractor, the solution, um, I believe it's going to be a huge success. And so I think that just for me, success is a healthier, brighter, more brilliant planet. And so I'm, I'm super optimistic about the future of Mother Earth. I'm super optimistic about our planet because right now we have the ability to make what is best for our planet economically superior to right. anything else. And that's, that's how we're going to succeed. That's the that, huge thing. Yeah, that's, we're going to yeah. succeed. Like if wind is 50% less expensive than coal, why would you fire up a coal power right. plant when you know it's not good for the planet? If solar is less expensive than fossil fuel and coal energy, why would you? So if you could farm without these chemicals, you know, it's crazy. Some of these, you, you, can, you can literally save money because you're not buying chemicals. So yeah. it's, and that's all coming. And we're starting with just basically uh, getting rid of fossil fuel and being able to get 100% elimination of herbicides. Um, and then deal with all the other ones as these apps and technologies develop around this vision sensor. So it's a very exciting time right now in agriculture. And I have a very, very 
optimistic outlook on our future for not just farming, but for plant, for Mother Earth and on a global, on a global scale. Awesome conversation, my man. So, so glad you could take the time to do it. Really appreciate, you know, your mindset and, you know, your willingness to spend, you know, probably the next decades of your life on this thing, man. You know, that, that's, that's, uh, I always love talking to people when they're on this, this long journey of, of, of making something that's going to be really impactful for, for everybody's lives globally, really, you know, it's just going to take some time and, and, you know, a team's effort to, to dedicate, you know, a lot of time and effort. So uh, best of luck to you and the team for the next decades to come. Thanks, Grant. Really appreciate your time and shining a light on our movement.